What the hell? We're in the Fortress of Solitude. From uh, Superman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay. But your hair's doing it. like, takes I your hair know, away. Oh, right? That's what I said. It makes my hair too weird. Yeah. Oh, what's going on there? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. What am I going to do? go welcome to my racist friend a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together i'm amy mckees and i'm don griffin we are still doing our quarantine thing yeah and, yeah. and don't be fooled it's gonna go on longer a lot longer you think yeah i hope not we did um, yesterday. We participated in another one of the relational cultural theory Zoom calls. One of the questions was about what role connection is playing in bolstering your spirits throughout this. And I thought that I had, I always liked to raise my hand if I knew exactly what I was going to say in class. I didn't like to raise my hand and then be like, oh, let's wonder her this together. So I felt like that when I raised my hand. I'm like, I have a, I have a thing that's super useful. I'm going to share it. My thing that is really helpful is I'm lucky enough to live in a neighborhood where a lot of my uh, friends that I love live. And we will text each other and say, we're going on a walk so that the other families know to look out their window and to wave and maybe even to stand outside and have a long distance conversation. Only when I tried to say it, I suddenly wanted to weep, which I didn't even know, like I didn't even know that was coming. <laughs> it was completely. Um, why, why did you want to, why, why did you want to weep? I was thinking, that it, it is a good thing that we do that, that like we still get to see each other. But in some ways, when I see these people, I feel a little bit worse because I, I, I think I was telling you this on the phone because I really want to be able to like hug them or sit next to them or go for a run without freaking out every time I breathe heavily, even though we're more than six feet apart. And it just sort of drove home how long it's been that we've already been doing this and that the amount of time we've done it, I don't think, I don't know that we're halfway through. But then when I think about that, I think of the meme on Facebook yesterday that was, you know, like for the love of God, quit calling the police. If you think homeless people are sitting too close together. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> and so like, my sadness upon not being able to hug my friends while I live in my house and have Zoom calls and watch movies and have groceries delivered. Got it really very, very good. I've got it good. You do, but it's okay to 
to mourn the loss of normalness. Yeah. And I only say that because I can't say norm normal normalcy. No, no, I can't say it. <laughs> We're being genuine. I mean, I think it's okay for you to mourn the 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 loss of of what you found to be a, a normal thing. We all have different pain thresholds. You know what I mean? There, of course, there's always going to be someone that's suffering more than you, but that doesn't that doesn't take away your loss. Like there's layers to it. It's, I think it's healthy to be grateful for what you have. And I think it's unhealthy to beat yourself up for your feelings. And then I was thinking this morning, I was like, well, what? It was a little bit of a, I don't know. It wasn't like a bad morning. It was just sort of rough with the whole family. And actually what's been interesting is over this, I think because of the necessity of it and everybody in our family is definitely on board with how important it is. Like there's actually been more family harmony. Kids seem to be fighting less and the mood feels a little bit lighter actually than it does other times. But it, it didn't feel that way this morning. And then I started thinking, I'm happy. I mean, I'm sad because I miss my friends, but I'm happy because my family is all right here. Like they're all here except for my sister. But like my mom's right around the corner and my kids are in the house. I'm really lucky for that. But then I started thinking about that. I don't know that my kids think they're lucky to be trapped in a house with their parents for, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just being realistic. I'm not like, oh my God, my kids hate me. I'm just realistically speaking where they are developmentally. It does not make sense for them to be like, oh yeah, I was hoping I could take a break from the world and be with just my parents for two months, you know? So and then I started thinking that I, that that is a piece of like the ickiness that I carry with me during the day is, you know, as a parent, specifically as a mom with like the social directives that even if we choose not to give them weight, they still are there. Like you can't get away from what society tells a good mom does when we were all in one house because they were all the age to be in one house and not like before they were at the age where they could just wander off and go with their friends for the evening. I felt like a sense of responsibility to do amusing things or to, you know, play with them, to engage with them, to create meaningful connection. But now they're, they're old enough that I can't really offer that and it's not only that but now they're forced to be here and they don't want to be here and i'm and i still have these remnants of i should create something that is uh you know that everybody loves in order to get through the day everybody should love breakfast and they should love that we play a game together in the afternoon and we should like go for a walk holding hands and marveling in mother nature or something what about the organic things of just I think you just have to embrace that. The organicness of just being near each other. That's gonna be really huge for them later on in life. That they're gonna remember this time that they got to spend with their parents. <laughs> that they were trapped. I don't think they're gonna look at it as being trapped. And you know what, all you can do is, is, is you. Right, yeah, and I know that. 
and I do think that at least my oldest is making plans to to be somewhere else if the wave comes back in November so that like the next quarantine they aren't here <laughs> you, you don't know that. <laughs> I'm not wrong <laughs> yeah maybe that's I mean I've enjoyed having my son around boy he eats a lot um oh my gosh yeah that's another thing i'm not used to keeping this much food in the house. yeah i mean you know i know we're not supposed to go to the grocery store but because my dumbass likes a 1950 uh 50s refrigerator we have hardly any room in there and so we do we have to go to the grocery store almost every other night you know, uh, which was, it, it, we didn't have to do that as much when there was just two of us. But yeah. now that we've got him and his girlfriend with us, which we love, it's kind of fun. It's like the Airbnb, you know. Yeah, I, know. I could imagine that if my friends, ha if my kids had a friend that got to stay with them, uh -huh. that it might feel a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we basically have kidnapped her. I mean, she's she's decided to actually stay here they, instead of going to live with their parents. So, yeah. so we kind of feel good about that. We feel like we're winning. You are winning. <laughs> totally winning. <laughs> I, you know, mom and dad, if the world is, we're going to, I'm going to say, I'm staying with the Griffins. <laughs> lo love you. Miss you. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That's funny. And true. <laughs> and true. <laughs> Oh my God. I don't, but you know what? I mean, we are blessed, Amy. I mean, we both live, you know, a couple of blocks from Bryan Park. Yeah. Like we're on the other side, we're on the other side of the park from, you, you know, but still yeah. we, we can walk anywhere. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of things to do. I mean, I'm sitting here on my front porch doing this podcast, you know? Yeah. Yes, um, and we've been, the weather has really cooperated. Like if I were going to be in quarantine, this is what I'd want. Yeah, I'm walking the dog. We walked four miles yesterday and three miles another day. We've got trails to go on. I mean, it it's kind of the vacation that I needed. I've needed for, you know, a dozen years. <laughs> There's been some some articles going around about that. and And we're not making light that we are in a pandemic. I hope people realize that. We well, all know that we're in we're we're in this together. Even if there are people out there, people we shouldn't get upset with people that aren't saying we're in a pandemic. Right? Don't right. you understand how dangerous it? Like, no, we we all are dealing. You're not the only one in it. We're all in it, and we're all doing it our own. You know, we're all trying to survive it in our own way. Yeah. And some and survive it with a smile, and some you know cry. You know, <laughs> some do both. Some do both. Both do both, I imagine. Yeah. But at the at the meeting yesterday, Amy Banks was there and was talking about the the neuroscience of the pandemic, and that most of us, and I think I may have said this last week too, but like most of us have, whether we know it or not, we're having a stress reaction most of the time, like a lot of the time. And there's a couple pieces to that. Like number one is that your body can't sustain being on high alert. And so that, that takes a toll. And for, in a lot of cases, 
the toll that it takes is it makes you have like a hair trigger stress response. So you just start to come down and then whoom, like see someone for me, like I see someone walking up the driveway and I'm like, they're not going to stop in time. They're going to like come all the way up to the house and talk to us and they can't do that. And then, you know, which is. Oh, wow. Okay. An, overre an overreaction. Okay. I didn't <laughs> I can know tell that. by your face. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a pretty, that's a normal response to your stress mm -hmm. system, like being on constantly. And so keeping in mind that, that all of us have that going on. That explains a lot. Some of my best ideas are when I'm stressed out. In business right now, we're like killing it. I mean, we are, <laughs> everyone else is scared to death. And I think we're scared, but we're doing new things. Uh -huh. And it's actually been effective. And it's like, where was that creativity before? Maybe it's, it's like the same phenomenon as having a deadline, making you do some writing. Yeah, it's like uh, fight or flight. I'm, maybe I'm in my fight mode, you know? Yeah. In fact, I don't think I go into a flight mode. I think I'm always in the fight mode. That's what are you going to do different? Well, I guess that's the question. Like once we're out of this, if we, and I think this is the scary thing. Mm -hmm. If we make it out of it, there's always that chance that we're going to be one of that, those hundred thousand or someone that we love is going to be one of the hundred thousand that actually perish. Yeah. So it's like a really, really, really sucky lottery that we're all in. Yes. Not until what? Yesterday? No, Thursday. Did I actually know someone that has it directly? And that's my neighbor and friend who walked, who was walking by my house on, I think, last Saturday. And I waved to her. Up until now, I had, I didn't know of anyone yeah. directly that actually had it it's there and it's starting to creep into all of our lives. I, I imagine that all of us will be impacted in one way or another by it. Life before the virus and life after, are there things that you have picked up on or things that you didn't do before that now you want to say, you know what, as soon as this is over, I'm going to do this more. Um, Yes, there's, there's one thing in particular, and that is that I have been paying close attention to uh, a mutual aid page for our area. And as I was, you know, packing up a box of essentials, I managed to buy flour before all the flour disappeared. <laughs> and we have our subscription to toilet paper, so we've never been low on toilet paper. And we have the toilet paper from our business and nobody's using it over there. So I, you know, I was able to put together a box and I was, um, while I was doing it, I was thinking of, I was trying to think of like ways to make it actually a, something nice to get. Whereas like, if I got a box that had toilet paper in it, I'd be like, all right, thanks, I guess. Um, I mean, I'd be glad, but so anyway, I'm going through and I'm doing that. And I started thinking like, this is something I could do why aren't I doing something like this more often? Why aren't I directly trying to make things better, like on a small scale? Like, because that's, that's what we can do. You know, we can make our communities better. And I think that 
I think letting go of our own worries about scarcity in order to help others is that's something that I want to do. I know what I want to change. What do you want to change for me? Yeah. I want to know. I realize that, uh, that I don't really get to know people as individuals. I don't, I'm always working the room. Yeah. Always. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. I mean, I realize that my life has not really changed any, the six feet thing is not really a, a big problem it has not, I haven't, my, my life really hasn't changed much uh -huh. in that regard. I don't have people over. I don't, uh, this is probably the most that I've actually talked to my neighbors. Mm -hmm. I talk to people for 15 minutes or, you know, but I'm always, you know, I love that my neighbors are, they come out to the street and they all talk to each other and, and I, and now I'm actually talking to them too, you know? Um, and you know, I've been here for like six years, so it's not like, I'm brand new in the neighborhood and I know them. I mean, we wave, we shake, you know, we wave from across the street or we say little things, but I've got some really cool people that, that live around me. And I, I don't, I don't really give myself a chance to get to know people. And a girl uh, that we went to school with passed, uh -huh. uh, Aaron, Aaron McGarvey. I, I was looking at pictures of her and I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I knew the name and I knew who she was, but seeing the picture just brought up memories of the fact that she was friends with so many of my friends. She's all for 40 something years. She's always been some part of my life and she always made me smile. Okay. And she made so many people happy. But I realized that I, that I didn't get a chance to actually know her. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. she, a person that actually made me happy indirectly and made everybody around her happy. I never got to actually tell her that or I never even got a chance to really get to know anything about her yeah and there's so many other people like that and uh, we're getting to an age and it's I not just, just an age that exactly you know like for because of this me and you connected I mean yes we yeah. we were friends of friends and for years but if we didn't have this Mm -hmm. We could have never gotten to know each other like this. Yeah. And there's other people out there that like an Aaron McGarvey who were really special people that I never really got to, to know. And that bugs me. And that's what I mean by always working the room. I realized even at my 30th class reunion and, and I realized I was still working the room. <laughs> right? I mean, when does it stop? Well, and you're really good at it. Like, you know that, you know, and I, even when, when, when I was talking to you earlier on the phone and I said that I was trying to talk to my mom who was, had a flat tire and you're like, do I need to go check on her? Like, it wasn't a question so much as, oh, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And we hung up and I thought, like, if one of Don's people needed 
help with a flat tire and I was out and about, is there a chance that you would call and be like, hey, can you help my mom out? No, I probably wouldn't. No. But I, I should. I would be honored. I know, and I just, that's just not some, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. We're talking about vulnerability, remember that? Yeah. Last yeah. week? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't show vulnerability, do I? That's not something that, even though you're my good that friend right? and I know you would do that, I would never ask you to do that. Mm-hmm. And and I think people need your friends need to feel needed. People loved I I loved actually. Now that I think about it, I loved going by and making sure that your mom was okay today. Well, you you made her day as well. I got a very happy text. Well, that's good. But I should pass on the same thing. It's a reciprocal thing where being able to help someone helps you feel better too. And that's something that, that I had to learn sort of fast <laughs> when I had my first knee surgery because I was not, like I spent the, the weeks before the surgery practicing driving with my left foot so that um, <laughs> oh but I wouldn't have to ask if you wanted to drive anywhere. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> that was hard. Okay. But I, I had eventually, you know, had to let go of that because it it was too hard to do by myself. Yeah, now I feel compelled to contribute to every single meal train that ever flits across my screen because so many people like pitched in and brought me food and stuff when I needed it. And when you're talking about like working the room, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't know that in like those kinds of settings that you can really get to know someone no, I meant when I say work in the room, I mean in life working the room, not just heck. I don't even like going to it, you know, <laughs> events like that. Any, you know what I'm saying? I just yeah. I'm old now, and I I used to have to do it, and I really I, I I do them occasionally, but but the whole idea of working a room, you know, not staying still, not relaxing, and really getting to know that person and it's partially because the confidence in myself I think we all have this where we don't want other people to know us better because they may find that we're not perfect yeah you know or they may find and I know I'm not perfect and I know I I didn't grow up rich um I, I didn't maybe I have yeah. some hang-ups that are you ever do you watch Seinfeld there's one, there's an episode where George Costanza, a friend of Jerry's, this little short dude, he has this thing where he just, he's going to tell a joke and then he's, he's out. He likes to leave on a good note, no matter where he's at. <laughs> so he'll, he'll leave with the joke and before, and, and he realizes it's never going to get any better than that. So he just, leave. he leaves. He's gone. Yeah. You know, and. I, there's a lot of us that do that. I, and I think I'm, I've got to get out of that, you know? Yeah. And you know what? I think that might be a piece of what is hard for me about seeing my friends when they walk by, because these are relationships that for the most part over the years, they have been like 
family relationships in that I expect to say the wrong thing or to screw it up and know that I can come back around and work through it. And the same, you know, when my feelings get hurt in these situations, I also know that at some point we'll be able to work through it. And I think the tiny little piece of connection that comes from, hey, we're walking by and you can wave, it's, it feels so uncertain. You know, like I don't know for sure that we can get together and repair any damage. And then I feel, I think a little bit more reticent to put myself out there, which is silly, but it is what it is. And then as a reaction to me being reticent, I'm mad at myself. So then I get cranky. <laughs> so it's like just not a good soup. Um, oh. See, we're so opposite. I don't think so. I think actually, like you were describing when you got to the end of what you were saying, you were talking about the central relational paradox. See, I would love to be that kind of person where I actually want people to come to my house, right? And so may maybe I'm, I'm being more sociable with my neighbors because there's no way that I, I'm going to let them in. No because way they're going to come in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is that terrible? That's oh, my so God. <laughs> And you know what? It's not. It's it's not that I wouldn't want them, but it, I I think about things like, okay, gosh, the floors are not polished. Did the did the cleaning lady cut? The cleaning lady comes on Friday. Okay, that's not. Is the bed made? Because so, so I'm thinking of all these things. It has to be that wall that's got a crack in it. I've got to go ahead and take care of that. You know, I'm thinking of all these things. Do I have food? Do I have? And I mean, I think of those things even if my parents are coming over, whether or not my house is going to be clean enough. You understand what I'm saying? You have people that you would go and like what you just said, they would, they would just come over and just, and I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. And, you, and I need to do that. We did. Remember that one night that yeah. I found out I wasn't going to get to teach that class. That Again. was that was rare for me. I know it was super. It was yeah, um, but I had never had someone. I, I have this beautiful stereo system, but I have never had someone come and sit down and listen to music in my house, and it was yeah. kind of cool. I was like, oh, so that was neat for you to come over and the other person to just drop by and yeah, and the well, thing is that was a situation where that person was grieving. He was grieving. And he needed yeah. it, it was it, that's what it took for me to say, come on and sit down. But I did, I love that. But that's probably the last time someone's been over my house really? <laughs> inside. Yeah. I just always assume that I would be a friend that you could be real with, but you would have other friends that are like, I would think of them as your fancier friends and that I assume come over more regularly no you don't have a bunch of fancy friends i have fancy friends but i think you're fancy but no i'm saying <laughs> but you gotta you with my job i'm always on there's like so i'm working all i'm working all day right and yeah. even when there's some social things that i have to do with boards or whatever when i come home i just want to come home and just 
in my my house is like my sanctuary. It's not a house that I ever entertain in. Yeah, that makes sense. Although when we started this conversation, you were talking about winning because your son's girlfriend is staying with you. And that sounds like opening up to a new person. It is. Oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. It's different. It is different to know that things don't have to be, be perfect. And then you're just like, Hey, this is a cool place. Like, I love this. You know, I mean, you start to, it's time to like put away the bullshit. And I, I wish that's something I could have known at 25 years old, as opposed to almost 50 years old. Yeah. Right. You gotta just, you gotta just be happy to bring yourself to be yourself. And yeah. maybe, and that's, maybe that's all anyone needs. Not perfect Don Griffin, not perfect Amy, just being there for people. There's something to when you can sort of let go of the crack in the wall and the clean floors, which anyway, um, <laughs> you fit in my house. So. Um, your house is so cool. No, it's, <laughs> they all have been, I mean, not, not just the actual structure, just the feeling, the feeling of home that you get when you're in your house. I think the other thing that comes up for me at least is I want to impress people. I want people to think that I'm smart um, mm -hmm. or that I already know stuff. Like on a good day when I can set that aside, it's a huge relief to be around people and only be thinking, how can I make this person's day a little bit better today? How can I connect with this person? Which is usually just listening. Mm -hmm. And in my work too, like I know that the times that I am not a very good therapist are the times that I talk a lot or that I try to show that I know something. You are smart though. <laughs> I know some things. You do know some things. So, you know, sometimes our show isn't about racism. It's about the friend part in the racist friend. Yeah, I think if we wanted to dig around, there are parts of being African-American that oh, feed your special skills that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, in, in the sense that from an early age, my parents always told me, okay, you are, people are always looking at you. Uh -huh. From the age of nine, I had already taken etiquette classes so that I knew what type Real of life etiquette classes. Oh yeah. 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 There's like an etiquette camp that, uh, the, uh, that the Gilliams, these, these, uh, African-American, uh, uh, folks used to put together where you have a dinner and they, they teach you all the proper things to do. And then you, and then we even, we have a dinner, we have a sit down, like little formal dinner to go, you know, that you go and you, use all those things and how to talk and how to you know make sure your spoon you know all that use the right fork don't wow. lean into your food bring it to you know that whole all that prep i would was careful of how i talked and what i said and how i said it and all that other good stuff and then um probably hampton probably was the the place that made me 
a less self-conscious of of that because I couldn't I couldn't eat fast. I'd go to the lunchroom and there I couldn't eat fast enough. I'd be the last person eating because I had my <laughs> stupid um, got my one hand in my lap and my. <laughs> You know, I mean, Jesus. You, you, and, yeah, and my friends were like, come on, Don. And I was like, okay, and these guys are rich. And I'm like, look, rich people really don't eat like this, do they? They just eat like normal people, right? And and my, no matter how I taught, I tried to cover my twang, it came out. And so eventually it was like, um, this is who I am. This is to this. I, I have a twang, and I'm gonna embrace it. And the girls think it's cute, so I'm just I'm keep <laughs> I'm stuck with it. I'll find my target market. You always be yourself, and you will find the target market that is best for you. People yeah. will find you. Just be yourself. You know, you're not trying to get a hundred percent of the people to like you. You don't really only right. need a percentage of a percentage, and you've got a posse. Yeah, that, that, back to my parents. That's what we were talking about. How we, how, and my grandparents told them that, and so forth. And you know, yeah. and yes, you, you, there were people always judging who you were. And you know, a black African American walks into a room. The, the the assumption is that before even talking, that they are not educated or they don't have money. Let me say this. It, me saying, you know, be yourself and all this stuff. It's probably, it's part of my privilege of living in a small town and being a business owner that's been in business for as long as I have. And uh -huh. people know me already. Uh -huh. Right. So I've got that luxury that most African-American men do not have. You know, I see what my son goes through. Yeah. You know, so yes, we've got plenty of talk to talk about. Racism will always exist. We could, we'll, we could, if we live to be a hundred years old, we could still be doing this show. Probably. Yeah, but we'll call it my racist friends. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll need our grandkids to come in to figure out the tech for it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, thank okay. you. Well, take I'll, care. All right. I will come and wave at your, ha your house if you want me to. If you. All right. You just text me in advance because the worst thing is when I get the text, when I look at my phone and I realize that someone texted a half hour before and that there's no way they're still standing outside. What? I mean, yeah, because like you have no place to go. But they're not going to go stand outside my house for a half hour waiting for me to pick up my phone and notice that they said well, no. outside. <laughs> oh my God. I guess I could always walk Cooper that down. I could walk Cooper that way. You could. I never thought of that. Rosie would let us know when you walk by. Yeah, she probably would. <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah, we do live close. I don't. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to do that. All right. Then All right. For you. Thank you. All right. Thanks. I'll Doc. see you guys later. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. 
This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKee, LCSW, took place at separate locations in Bloomington, Indiana on Saturday, April 11, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKees. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. All right, Kevin, are you still awake? Yeah. <laughs>